Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2 and streaming on NFL Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL Plus. Visit NFL.com slash schedule release to learn more. August 20th, 2020, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered. History was made last night. The Democratic National Virtual Convention as Senator Kamala Harris of California accepts the nomination as the country's first African, first black and Indian American vice president. We'll show you what she had to say. And also, former President Barack Obama laid into Donald Trump. Trump was not happy. He was tweeting in all caps. Also, we'll talk with the head of an Indian American political organization, about what Harris's VP not means for that community. Also, folks, who another Trump official took a perp walk? This time, Steve Bannon. The Postal Service cops snatched him off of a $28 million yacht as he was just cruising in the waters of Connecticut. He has been indicted, along with several others. Also, folks, 
We'll be talking with the first black president of an NFL team, Jason Wright, who now leads the Washington football team, will join us. And also Women's March co-founder Linda Sarsour joins us to talk about Joe Biden's campaign dissing and disavowing her after she met with other Muslims who back him and Harris. Plus a lawsuit has been filed against postmaster Louis DeJoy. We'll give you those details. And a $600 million preliminary settlement has been announced between the city of between Flint, Michigan residents and the state as a result of the water crisis there. Folks, we got a jam-packed show. It's time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. Last night, as Senator Kamala Harris of California becomes the first black woman to be the VP nominee on any major presidential ticket. Now, of course, uh, there was a, a sister, Charlotta Ross, uh, on the uh, in 19, 1930s. But when it comes to Democrats and Republicans, she is the first first black woman, first uh, Indian American woman as well, Indian American candidate. Period. Uh, it was a big night as she spoke, former President Barack Obama. And man, they closed that thing out with Jennifer Hudson singing Sam Cooke's A Chain's Gonna Come. Watch. This week marks the 100th anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment. And we celebrate the women who fought for that right. Yet so many of the black women who helped secure that victory were still prohibited from voting long after its ratification. But they were undeterred. Without fanfare or recognition, they organized and testified and rallied and marched and fought, not just for their vote, but for a seat at the table. These women and the generations that followed worked to make democracy and opportunity real in the lives of all of us who followed. They paved the way for the trailblazing leadership of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. And these women inspired us to pick up the torch and fight on. Women like Mary Church Terrell, Mary Cloyd Bethune, Fannie Lou Hamer, and Diane Nash, Constance Baker Motley, and the great Shirley Chisholm. We're not often taught their stories. But as Americans, we all stand on their shoulders. And at every step of the way, I've been guided by the words I spoke from the first time I stood in a courtroom. Kamala Harris for the people. I have fought for children and survivors of sexual assault. I fought against transnational criminal organizations. I took on the biggest banks 
and helped take down one of the biggest for-profit colleges. I know a predator when I see one. Donald Trump's failure of leadership has cost lives and livelihoods. If you're a parent struggling with your child's remote learning, or you're a teacher struggling on the other side of that screen, you know what we're doing right now is not working. And we are a nation that is grieving. Grieving the loss of life, the loss of jobs, the loss of opportunities, the loss of normalcy, and yes, the loss of certainty. And while this virus touches us all, we got to be honest, it is not an equal opportunity offender. Black, Latino, and indigenous people are suffering and dying disproportionately. And this is not a coincidence. It is the effect of structural racism, of inequities in education and technology, healthcare and housing, job security and transportation. The injustice in reproductive and maternal health care, in the excessive use of force by police, and in our broader criminal justice system. This virus, it has no eyes, and yet it knows exactly how we see each other and how we treat each other. And let's be clear. There is no vaccine for racism. We've got to do the work for George Floyd, for Breonna Taylor, for the lives of too many others to name, for our children, and for all of us. We've got to do the work to fulfill that promise of equal justice under law. Because here's the thing, none of us are free until all of us are free. The constant chaos leaves us adrift. The incompetence makes us feel afraid. The callousness makes us feel alone. It's a lot. And here's the thing, we can do better and deserve so much more. We must elect a president who will bring something different, something better, and do the important work. A president who will bring all of us together, black, white, Latino, Asian, indigenous, to achieve the future we collectively want. We must elect Joe Biden. Right now, we have a president who turns our tragedies into political weapons. Joe will be a president who turns our challenges into purpose. So make no mistake, the road ahead is not easy. We may stumble. We may fall short. But I pledge to you that we will act boldly and deal with our challenges honestly. We will speak truths and we will act with the same faith in you 
that we ask you to place in us. We believe that our country, all of us, will stand together for a better future. And we already are, and it's about us. People of all ages and colors and creeds who are, yes, taken to the streets and also persuading our family members, rallying our friends, organizing our neighbors, and getting out the vote. And we have shown that when we vote, we expand access to health care and expand access to the ballot box and ensure that more working families can make a decent living. And I'm so inspired by a new generation. You, you are pushing us to realize the ideals of our nation, pushing us to live the values we share, decency and fairness, justice and love. You are patriots who remind us that to love our country is to fight for the ideals of our country. In this election, we have a chance to change the course of history. We're all in this fight. You, me, and Joe. So let's fight with conviction. Let's fight with hope. Let's fight with confidence in ourselves and a commitment to each other, to the America we know is possible, the America we love. And years from now, this moment will have passed, and our children and our grandchildren will look in our eyes, and they're going to ask us, where were you when the stakes were so high? They will ask us, what was it like? And we will tell them. We will tell them not just how we felt. We will tell them what we did. My panel, Dr. Greg Carr, Chair of the Department of Afro-American Studies, Howard University, Reese Colbert, Black Women's Views, Erica Savage-Wilson, host Savage Politics Podcast. Uh, Reese, I'm sure uh, you were over the moon last night uh, waiting for that moment for Harris to give that VP speech. Absolutely. And she knocked it out of the park. Uh, this moment was made for Senator Kamala Harris, and she was made for this moment. I just absolutely was blown away by how she really centered black women. Uh, in her speech, I have never heard anybody give a speech like that in terms of a vice presidential nominee. One of the first, she mentioned black women within the first two minutes, and she said their names. When I, the first time I met uh, Senator Harris, the first, one of the first words out of her mouth was actually Shirley Chisholm. And uh, you were there um, rolling at Essence Fest where she went down the list as well. So this is something that she has always done in terms of paid homage to those who came before her. And I just thought that, you know, really centering black women and giving us the recognition that we deserve for being the backbone of the party and for acknowledging that there have been many times throughout the various civil rights fights where black women were at the forefront yet still were not afforded the rights that were won at that time. And so I loved how she was very honest about what 
we are facing in this country, not just in terms of coronavirus, but also in terms of the racism. And I just think that she really, really represented on such a high level. These The stakes are high, and she delivered in a way that I just—it it made me feel so much joy. I And, and I just— I could not be more elated with what she accomplished on that stage last night. And I hope that people really listened to her and saw the person that many of us who supported her from day one have been cheering on and have been said, have said she is the one for this moment. Uh, Erica, it did not take her long uh, to acknowledge the 100th anniversary of the 19th uh, women's suffrage movement. But then she made perfectly clear that was not all that wasn't for black women. Right. It will always have an asterisk, and it is true. And I think that that is what people are going to find that um, begin to support um, Senator Kamala Harris in this particular space is that um, she's truthful and she's very honest and, and she does not mince words. One of the parts, what I loved about her speech last night, it felt extraordinarily personal, as Reese uh, already has shared with us, is she did, in fact, center black women. And in that conversation, it seems as though she was having not just with black women, but with people all over um, the globe. When she talked about her mother, that for me was something that was um, beautiful and profound because her mother um, is no longer here with us. But she brought us into a very private space and talked about the influence that her mother had as a scientist and as an activist. Um, and when you're thinking about a person that was really made for this moment, the loins that she comes out of. She comes out of the loins of parents who were active in the civil rights movement. And she talked about being having that stroller view of the activity that was going on. And so understanding that this is not a woman who came from um, a family of great wealth, and this is just something that you do, right? You just run for president. She came from a family with a set of values that taught her to be, her mother specifically taught her to be very uh, proud as a black woman and also very proud of her Indian heritage and brings collectively all of those experiences um, as, as well as um, her toughness um, as a person who um, is in law. Uh, it really did feel as though black women were seen. So for her not to have on white, to be donning um, that beautiful color that she was wearing last night um, and speak as earnestly and as truthfully and as toughly, but as kindly, compassionately and empathetic as she did. I, I believe that she really did bring us all into the space where we feel as though we do have um, some stance in this fight and that there is, in fact, hope. Greg Carr, um, Mary Church Terrell, Mary McCall Bethune, Fannie Lou Hamer, Diane Nash, Constance Baker Motley, Shirley Chisholm. Also, of course, uh, name checking Congressman John Lewis. Uh, and then, of course, later in her speech, um, uh, HBCUs, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Uh, in addition to that, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. Um, I think when you look at this speech, when you look at the speech that Michelle Obama gave, and surprisingly, we'll talk about that a little bit later, the speech that Obama gave, uh, no avoidance of black. No, but I mean, what does it cost? Right. right? So uh, I think one of the watershed moments of these uh, of this convention has been the video that was shown during the nomination, the nominating process, each of the 57 states and territories. 
uh, it seemed to be that that seemed to be overwhelmingly non-white. Uh, the the not uh, the the person representing the delegation from New Mexico, a Native American out there, Navajo, he even said, "Respect our sovereignty." I'm like, so I think as a, <laughs> as a, as a, as a <laughs> so as a piece of uh, a, a as, as a piece of political rhetoric, I thought it was an excellent speech. I thought she had all the notes. Uh, I thought that you know Kamala, Kamala Harris has to walk a tightrope. I mean, let's be very clear. In the wake of the political insurrections of the 1960s and then the Jackson campaigns of 84 and 88, the Democratic Party in the early 90s really went toward the right with the Democratic Leadership Conference, the DNC. And so, uh, DLC rather. But that process has produced a, a tension at the heart of the Democratic Party. How do you build a multiracial, multi-class coalition when your policies are much to the right of the people you claim to represent? Kamala Harris has an impossible task. And yet last night we saw her uh, articulate and line out, uh, you know, under the broad notions of conviction and hope and confidence, uh, the assertion that people can, to borrow from the Obama campaigns, project onto me your hopes and aspirations. That is a, that, that's a stratospheric bar. You know, it's been reported the last several days that uh, her Secret Service name, the one she selected, is Pioneer. And, you know, that that reminded me of the first black woman to be uh, to accept nomination for vice president uh, in uh, as a vice president of the United States who did not do it from a major party. But, of course, a woman who was in your craft, the great Carlotta Bass out of Sumter, South Carolina, who in 1952 accepted the nomination for vice president on the progressive party ticket. And it made me I went back and reread that speech. And she talks in that first paragraph of her speech about being a pioneer and accepting that role. And what struck me was two things. One, the similarities between Carlotta Bass's speech in 1952 and Kamala Harris's speech in the year 2000, and also the distinctions between Carlotta Bass's uh, speech, where she critiques American militarism abroad, she uh, she critiques hypercapitalism, and uh, Kamala Harris's speech last night, where she really does focus on health care and education and access and all these things, but has to do it while generating enthusiasm in a party that has already made commitments uh, through Joe Biden talking to, to corporate America to say we're not going to do any new legislation to reel in Wall Street, who has already already assured Silicon Valley that we're not going to go that far. And who in a moment, as you said, has uh, assured people that he doesn't stand with Linda Sarsour. So, you know, God bless Kamala Harris. God bless it, because why should a black woman have to not only inherit all those burdens, but somehow entertain everybody's thoughts? particularly the thoughts of those people who were represented in that beautiful video that showed uh, leading up to her uh, speech that showed all those beautiful sisters and all those folks from all over the country and indeed all over the world who are saying we're projecting our hopes onto you. I do want to do this here. I want to, uh, guys, play the Elizabeth, the Sarah Elizabeth Warren video. Uh, <laughs> folks were paying attention to her speech, but then others said, what's that in the background? Roll it, please. <laughs> Today, America has the most COVID deaths in the world and an economic collapse. And both crises are falling hardest. All right, folks, you might not no, no, go back, go back, go back. Y'all see that right over her uh, left shoulder? B-L-M. That wasn't by accident, Reese. <laughs> I'm so impressed. Can you tell my impressed face? <laughs> Greg. Okay. <laughs> Greg. Here's the problem. Here's the problem Democrats have. 
You're raking in billions of dollars from your donors, and you want these Negroes who may get put out of their house tomorrow with rent eviction to vote for you. So uh, I don't even know how you build that big a tent. So that BLM didn't bother me. What bothers me is whether or not they're going to have the courage to beat up on Donald Trump the way we need it. We're going to need to generate enthusiasm. And this convention, these last few days, I done seen more Republicans at the Democratic convention than I have at the Republican, than I will at the Republican one, likely. And so we, you know, it's all political theater. They're trying to play all the keys on the piano. Sometimes when you do that, you don't make a song at all. Well, the rally, Erica, that's what conventions are. Bottom line is they want, they want, to, they want to do all the check marks, hit all the notes. Uh, and look, they're all well-produced shows. That's what they are. Uh, but uh, it's going to be quite interesting uh, to see next week uh, I keep saying, I think the Republican Party, uh, the Trump probably sent one of those emails out asking for actors to apply uh, to even come near close to the amount of color we saw this week. Uh, but again, some folks, folks were talking about uh, that imagery that was in the background there in that classroom. You know, I, that is just <laughs> odd, um, particularly when you're looking at the type of classroom, which seemed to be a kindergarten classroom. I mean, it, that definitely was a stunt. It was theater. But, you know, when we're moving uh, past that and we're looking at kind of like where we are in the country and what's needed there, it, it, the Democratic Party is a big tent party. And there are a lot of people that really do lean into the party because they feel that it is more malleable than the Republican Party. Because think about it like this. Republicans have a very easy job. They're a white nationalist party. So if you are going to be a part of their party, you have to acquiesce to what their agenda is, which is very narrow, and it doesn't have any room for growth, only if a person is interested in um, making sure that whomever the dear leader is of that party successfully becomes a dictator and all of those people around him in that regime become oligarchs. So absolutely, the Democrats do have a lot that's on their plate. But when we think about what actually the citizenry actually depends on, um, and those individuals that group themselves into a particular party that is about um, ensuring that people do have the right to vote, fair housing act. When we think about all of those big pieces of legislation, we think about the Democratic Party. And I think that uh, overwhelmingly what this um, convention was about, even though it is the DNC convention, was actually about unity. And, you know, whatever cynicism that that may be met with, we are at a place where for everybody who doesn't have a passport, for those folks, which that is um, a small percentage here in the United States, for those people who don't have another country that they can drop to, that this is what we have to work with. And there's some people that they don't have a cushion for to not vote, so to speak. So uh, the Democrats are really making this work. They're really bringing in a whole host of voices for all of those that are listening to say, and bottom line has been echoed, throughout each night. This is about um, either uh, continuing forward and doing what we can do with what we have with the, sem the semblance of democracy or giving it over to the dictator and the oligarchs completely. All right, folks, in President Barack Obama's speech, uh, he, um, I, I call this, it, it, look, he's not going to be an angry guy, but there was, a, there was like this smoldering thing happening where at one point I swear he was damn near about uh, to shed a tear because he was kind of pissed off. Roll it please. I'm in Philadelphia where our constitution was drafted and signed. It wasn't a perfect document. It allowed for the inhumanity of slavery and failed to guarantee women and even men who didn't own property 
the right to participate in the political process. But embedded in this document was a North Star that would guide future generations. A system of representative government, a democracy, through which we could better realize our highest ideals. Through civil war and bitter struggles, we improved this Constitution to include the voices of those who'd once been left out. And gradually, we made this country more just and more equal and more free. I have sat in the Oval Office with both of the men who are running for president. I never expected that my successor would embrace my vision or continue my policies. I did hope, for the sake of our country, that Donald Trump might show some interest in taking the job seriously, that he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence for the democracy that had been placed in his care. But he never did. For close to four years now, he has shown no interest in putting in the work, no interest in finding common ground, no interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself and his friends. No interest in treating the presidency as anything but one more reality show that he can use to get the attention he craves. Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. For eight years, Joe was the last one in the room whenever I faced a big decision. He made me a better president. And he's got the character and the experience to make us a better country. And in my friend Kamala Harris, he's chosen an ideal partner who is more than prepared for the job. Someone who knows what it's like to overcome barriers and who's made a career fighting to help others live out their own American dream. But more than anything, what I know about Joe, what I know about Kamala, is that they actually care about every American. And that they care deeply about this democracy. They believe that in a democracy, the right to vote is sacred, and we should be making it easier for people to cast their ballots, not harder. They believe that no one, including the president, is above the law, and that no public official, including the president, should use their office to enrich themselves or their supporters. Look, I understand why a lot of Americans are down on government. The way the rules have been set up and abused in Congress make it easier for special interests to stop progress than to make progress. Believe me, I, I know it. I understand why a white factory worker who's seen his wages cut or his job shipped overseas might feel like the government no longer looks out for him, and why a black mom might feel like it never looked out for her at all. I understand why a new immigrant might look around this country and wonder whether there's still a place for him here, why a young person might look at politics right now, the circus of it all, the meanness and the lies and conspiracy theories, and think, what is the point? And we cannot let that happen. 
Do not let them take away your power. Do not let them take away your democracy. Make a plan right now for how you are going to get involved and vote. Do it as early as you can and tell your family and friends how they can vote too. Do what Americans have done for over two centuries when faced with even tougher times than this. All those quiet heroes who found the courage to keep marching, keep pushing in the face of hardship and injustice. Last month, we lost a giant of American democracy in John Lewis. And some years ago, I sat down with John and a few remaining leaders of the early civil rights movement. One of them told me he never imagined he'd walk into the White House and see a president who looked like his grandson. And then he told me that he had looked it up. And it turned out that on the very day that I was born, he was marching into a jail cell, trying to end Jim Crow segregation in the South. What we do echoes through generations. Whatever our backgrounds, we are all the children of Americans who fought the good fight. Great grandparents working in fire traps and sweatshops without rights or representation. Farmers losing their dreams to dust. Irish and Italians and Asians and Latinos told, go back where you come from. Jews and Catholics, Muslims and Sikhs made to feel suspect for the way they worshiped. Black Americans chained and whipped and hanged, spit on for trying to sit at lunch counters, beaten for trying to vote. If anyone had a right to believe that this democracy did not work and could not work, it was those Americans, our ancestors. They were on the receiving end of a democracy that had fallen short all their lives. They knew how far the daily reality of America strayed from the myth. And yet, instead of giving up, they joined together. And they said, somehow, some way, we are going to make this work. We are going to bring those words in our founding documents to life. Greg, um, again, it's not going to be fire and brimstone. That was a little, as, as Robin Harris, I'm pissed off to the highest of pissivity. Um, uh, you, your take on what Obama had to say. Well, brother, as my friend, the great Ethiopian filmmaker, Holly Green, often says, black folks feel like they can't slay the dragon. They go into fantasy. Um, I understand why uh, President Obama could get emotional, because he has banked everything, as have so many, on aspiration. But the simple fact of the matter is Donald Trump stole the election in 2016. And to be there at the Constitution Center, I was there at the con outside the Constitution Center that day he gave that speech on race where he threw Jeremiah right under the bus. And I understand that, you know, you do that 
because you're banking that the future is going to be better than the past. But you also are banking that you don't have to speak truth to power completely, that it can be kind of implied. And so what we saw with, with, uh, with Brother Obama uh, yes, last night is a man who realizes that this whole thing could go down the tubes very quickly. You know, again, I, I think about the fact that, you know, what Gil Scott Heron say in 1974 in Winter America, the Constitution, a noble piece of paper uh, with free society, struggled, but it died in vain. And again, I encourage everybody to go back and read Carlotta Bass's acceptance speech from 1952, because she says, for 40 years, I've been the editor of the largest Negro newspaper in the West. And, of course, the first black woman to edit a daily newspaper, the California Eagle. She says, I have stood on a watchtower and watched the rising tide of race hatred and bigotry and, 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 and watched this country move against anybody who believed the Constitution was something more than a yellow piece of paper uh, trapped in a glass at the archives. She said, you know, when you think about this project, you have got to speak to truth, truth to power in the moment you have it. Barack Obama became president of the United States in part because he was able to sink the politics of personification with the politics of policy. And what we have reached now, we've reached a moment in society where we are at the notion of personification politics. So Joe's a good guy. We got to vote for Joe because he stood up. And then people going to respond with, well, what about the crime bill? In other words, let's start talking. Let's try to make the person as perfect as we can. That is a huge mistake because we must talk about policy politics. Because if you overburden this guy, Joe, Joe Biden, who already looks almost like a mummy, then you're going to rise and fall with every gaffe, with every stumble. What the Democratic Party is going to have to do now is energize a base in a way that really, if they were smart, should kind of pull back a little bit from personification politics and dig in very heavy, especially with the grassroots. And I know these sisters are doing it. Melanie Campbell, so many others. I mean, Reese, of course, uh, Erica, I mean, they, they're meeting them. But we got to move on policy now, almost as if we don't care who the presidential nominee is. I'm just afraid we, if we don't do that, we could be on the verge of, which is why he kind of teared up, the collapse of this project, brother. Uh, Reese, when you, um, he normally does not name check Donald Trump. He did this time. Yes, he did. I, I, I was. I think. I wish I would he, that he would have name checked the Republicans because they really got off easy. I mean, he kind of made more vague references to like Congress and a little both sidesism to me. But I do think that I, I appreciated that President Obama kind of backed away from some of his more aspirational kind of kumbaya talk and really laid bare a lot of the challenges that we are facing because I think we aren't really in the mood for kind of. Um, people blowing smoke up our ass in terms of what's really capable. I think we really do need to hear some of these harder messages. Um, and I think that he did deliver on that. And I, I really appreciated his line in particular about how if anybody had a reason to, you know, be discouraged or not really, you know, to not believe in the power of what this democracy could be, it is our ancestors. And yet they definitely pushed forward and, and, and blaze the trail for us here today so that we can sit on social media and, and impose these these uh, purity tests and litmus tests and, you know, say things about why we're not going to vote for X, Y, and Z. But I do agree with Dr. Carr's point to the in, about policy. And I do think that, unfortunately, there is a lot of personality politics. But the one good thing is there is a lot of policy that is appealing if we ever get to the point of talking about policy. Erica, uh, yeah. your comment before I go to my next guest, go. 
Yeah, I, I agree with um, Dr. Carr and Reese said, particularly about that policy piece. And when we kind of look at where we are right now, we're really in um, the ninth inning, you know. Um, and so where this energizing has to be, um, hopefully, I think the point was made um, with all of the speakers that it also requires an involved citizenry, right? So then we have to be responsible to the people that we elect. So I think as we move forward, I hope that the Democrats do, in fact, keep this energy so that they'll have space for those engaged uh, policy conversations going forward. All right, folks, uh, let's now move to um, uh, history that was that was made uh, when uh, former NFL player Jason Wright was announced as the first president of an NFL team, the Washington football team. This, of course, uh, you would think after Fritz Pollard, you would think after so many uh, Art Shell, first black head coaches, uh, both of those alpha. And, yeah, I'm shouting out Jason because he's also an alpha. But some things just are consistent. Right, Greg Carr? <laughs> let's bring let's let's bring up Jason right now. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, brother. Uh, it is uh, it is glad, glad to see you. Uh, it's, I saw something the other day, and it was a great. You had this great comment where you said, "Hey, if there's some white guy out there who played in the league and then who went to get his MBA and became uh, top at McKinsey and then all these things, who I passed passed by, I'm sorry." And that's what all, it, it always amazes me when people somehow think uh, that folks like you are some unicorn. When in fact, let's just be honest. There were a lot of African-Americans long before you who could have been president of NFL teams. And, and, and people just like there are a lot of black folks who could have been president before Barack Obama, who could be who could have run Fortune 500 companies. But the reality is folks did not give them the shot. Yeah, I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily an exception to black talent. I'm, I'm more representative, I think, of what black talent offers in corporate America and in general. You know, and I think that's the point you're making. And, and to your point, you know, I, at first I, I sort of didn't want to embrace the historicity of the moment because I wanted to like get to work and show people what we could do. But I do think it's important to do and acknowledge because of the folks that did come before, to your point. You know, uh, Kevin Warren, who was the COO of the Vikings for many, many years, basically did the role I'm doing, but just without the title. Um, and so, you know, people have, you know, trodden this road that I happen to waltz down at this moment. And so it's important to acknowledge and celebrate in, in honor of those folks. Well, and, and it's also uh, important to deal with it because what it also does, it, it shines a light on the other teams. It shines a light on the history. I mean, just uh, it was th this weekend. Uh, I own the DVD, but I just happened to be watching, uh, watching uh, cable and I, I stumbled across on two different occasions, uh, the movie The Express. Uh, and he had the first brother to win the Heisman Trophy. And, and, to, and to watch this, to watch this movie after the announcement was made regarding you and where the, the owner of the, of, of, of the Washington football team made it perfectly clear. He might have been the best player, college player in the country, but he was not going to play for this team because he was black. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, you could look at any industry like that. And if you take a historical lens, you know, that story and that narrative exists everywhere. Um, and it's a good point um, to to acknowledge moments like this in light of that. And, and and what I like about this moment too, especially being a former player and being inspired by having a black head coach in Romeo Cornell and being inspired by having a black GM in Rod Graves, um, it does open the aperture for folks like me to see that black talent um, is both welcome and can excel outside of the lines of the football field. And also for that to be a signal to others 
that that's available as well. Um, but, you know, still 70 plus percent guys uh, in the league are, are, are black. And so I think more representation outside of that gives multiple pathways and just changes the way people look at athletes, their talent and their capability, especially intellectually. Also, I think what it does is it, it also um, to those same athletes, uh, because the reality is out of all the major professional sports, the NFL, uh, an NFL career is the shortest out of all of them. And that when there are opportunities provided for players after their playing days are over and, and, and not just sort of the development person whose job is to just talk to guys and just to be able to counsel them, but the real substance uh, of this 10 billion, this 10 to $15 billion enterprise. When we talk about the NFL, we are talking about a major corporation. We're not it's talking about just, you know, no, this is a major corporation. And for African-Americans, what we're saying, like I tweeted this earlier when I talked about, uh, I said, you've had black folks, uh, when I was talking about you coming on, I said, you've had a black president, you have black people running Fortune 500 CEOs, but you've never had an African-American run a Hollywood studio. You've never had an African-American run a major uh, broadcast network or even the news division. And when we were in 2020, they had the first black president, that speaks to the levers of power. That if you want to understand power, that's when it comes to if you can run the show, that's the power, not the person who's handing off or tossing the ball. Yeah, I think the goal of every professional that has a desire to, I don't know, have any sort of impact that's just beyond, I don't know, personal compensation or whatever it is, you do look for moments where you have a sphere of influence. If it's in corporate America, it can be about capital and controlling capital flows and things like that. You know, if it's in your arena, it's about narrative um, and having influence on narrative and how people see things. Um, And I think, um, you know, for all of us, we bring our identity into that for sure. Um, And and I'm excited to do that here. You know, one of the things that uh, Dan and Tanya Snyder and I talked about that was very exciting to me um, was the opportunity to lead the building of a new stadium. Um, and you know, we have to go through location, but, and all, all of those questions, but irrespective of location or anything like that, so much of my research at McKinsey was focused on equitable and inclusive growth. So if I think about all the capital that is going to go into a stadium build and the businesses that would profit from being a part of that, and then all the capital that will flow from that stadium as it's operating and being a retail hub and state of the yard and an anchor institution for families in the area. The, the revenue generated generated from that to what communities will that go and how will it uh, lift the economic outlook of an entire region in a more equitable way. That's a lens from my identity and my passion that I bring to it. And I think that's the exciting thing about trying to be in a position like this. Um, when you also talk about um, when you see it, you can actually achieve it. When I think about the number of African-Americans who have done things and they said, because I saw somebody uh, in that position, so therefore, I wow, now I, I can actually do that because I see someone who looks like me. We hear the exact same thing, uh, that for when Kamala Harris gets named, I mean, that that, that speaks volumes uh, to black women and women of color, say, so I'm seeing me. Uh, I think back to when uh, I went to one of the Houston Texans games with uh, my brother and his wife and his children, and I have a nephew, Chris, uh, and it was very interesting because, um, uh, Wade Phillips was defensive coordinator for the Houston Texans, and so we were waiting to meet the players and the family and and coaches. And he, so he he he's, I introduced him to my nephew, introduced my nephew to him, and he says, "Hey, Chris, what position you want to play?" I said, "Oh, no, 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 
Chris ain't been raised to play ball. Chris has been raised to own the team. Mm. And he went, whoa. And, and, and I wanted him to understand because what often happens is when we speak to black kids, especially mm -hmm. black boys, we only, even black folks even do this, we only talk to them within, with the mindset of what position you want to play as opposed to raising them and say, no, 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 no. I want you to be raised thinking you could own the team or be a team president. And even though you played, uh, yeah. I'm sure your, your deal wasn't, I'm not just trying to be a player. I want to go beyond that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had the, the fortunate factor of limiting talent <laughs> that made me think <laughs> about uh, my brain beyond my legs. But I'll tell you this, you know, my, my parents um, were, were really sticklers on, uh, on making sure that I had options beyond just playing ball um, to, you know, really get to a sphere of influence, as we talked about. And I remember I had already gotten the college scholarship to Northwestern to play ball. And uh, my parents still made me uh, write essays and apply to a bunch of other schools. And I remember what I wrote my essays about. I wrote about why being a professional football player was not a long-term career trajectory that I would ever be able to rely on. That's just how ingrained they put that in my head. And right. so I think there's something to what you're saying. Um, and, uh, you know, if and I guess I've never really acknowledged it, but I guess in the back of my mind, that helped lead to a role like this where I'm excited to expand the value of the franchise, work with new and great people and take on some real interesting and important challenges. You also speaking of those challenges, I mean, you walk into a tough situation. Of course, they yeah, had to so. they had yeah, to yeah. Uh, force to change their name. Uh, of course, the story that uh, came out dealing with the issue of uh, uh, sex and culture there when it comes to a variety of issues. Uh, and we haven't got to the fact that the team is sucked. You got a hell of a job. You know, in one sense, there's challenges and in another sense, there's opportunities. Um, you know, the way I've been describing it, you know, the, the football aside, because it's, it is super clear that my job is about expanding the value of the franchise as a business leader. Right. Right. Coach, Coach Rivera's got the team. Yes, I played, but I haven't coached for two decades and I don't want one of them because they were undergrad in business school to ask me about financial statements. You know, so we're going <laughs> to stay in our lanes. Number one. Uh, n number two, there are enough things on my plate and on our plate as a team to, to look at on the business side. And, and we, we got to navigate a COVID season and keep folks healthy, be prudent, engage data, be agile. We've got to get this culture right. And one of the things that made me believe that the Snyders were not just talking about a change in culture and values, but meant it was that they had brought in an independent investigator. That's a big deal to pull back the curtain, let everybody in your house, look under the carpets, the bed, all that, and actually report out on what's going on on the inside. That's a bold step that not many companies ever take. Um, and I'm eager to dive in and understand where that's at when I start on Monday. And irrespective of where it's at, I know where the culture is going to go. It's going to be one where people's voices are empowered um, and they can raise issues of leadership that does not comport to our values. Um, it's going to be one where um, diverse voices are brought to the table on the decisions that make uh, that matter the most for the direction of the franchise, especially women's voices. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but also because it's the prudent business thing to do. Because when you have diverse voices on business decisions, you make better business decisions. And it's gonna be transparent. We're gonna have a culture where we know how we're performing, both financially and in organizational health. We'll measure it. And it's not to hold it over folks' heads, it's to know where we need to invest, where we need to develop our talent more and allow people to innovate. Because sports has great talent. We just need to unleash it. 
Um, I like to allow my panelists to ask one question. Uh, folks, if y'all can make it brief with the question, because I've got two guests in the next 15 minutes, so I'm going to start with uh, Erica. Your question for Jason. Congratulations, uh, Jason, to you. And Thanks. just very briefly, you talked about your first 100 days. Could you just briefly share what is your um, number one priority in your first 100 days as president of uh, the Washington football Ooh, team? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Um, I never like to be boxed into one, but I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> I've laid out two of them already, so I'll skip those because I already said them. Uh, the other one is really, um, really figuring out a, um, a new and revised approach to fan engagement. Um, I think what I've learned over the last few days, um, being exposed to our fans in a new way, being announced and exposed to our fans in a new way, this is a deeply passionate fan base. Um, and uh, they are emotionally invested in this team. And those emotions are in a wide range right now because this is a big time of transition and transition is hard for folks, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think I've become very aware of helping um, our fans, not by, because there's anything I can do to make them um, you know, happier in this moment or to help them immediately get through things. But I can listen and I can be present mm -hmm. and I can be visible. And there's a real hunger for that. And so can the rest of us in the organization. And so I, I need to figure out a real rigorous way uh, and structured way of doing that so people know that we're about something different this time. Uh, Reese. Uh, congratulations, Jason. Um, I, my question for you is, is there anything in particular that you feel like you did to help get yourself in this position? Because I know that black people lack a pipeline to ascend to the heights that you did. And so is there any kind of particular step that you took? Oh, that's a good, that's a really good question. Um, uh, I think there's a couple things that I did um, or that I recommend people do. I don't want to take too much credit because a lot of this is just opportunity happening at the right time. You know, uh, I can't, I can't take too much credit. But um, a couple things I did and then a couple, I think, I think a couple things that I try to think which I think is equally important to doing. Um, a couple of things I did um, is I, I followed um, my intellectual curiosity. I think a lot of times we maybe get funneled into things uh, that are familiar, but I, I, I'm a nerd and I, I wanted to learn about things and consume information. Um, and I found stuff that I was excited enough about to like put in the work uh, to learn about. Um, for me, it was analytics and financial statements and mathematics. And I just like ate it up when I retired from football and just went for it. So I think there's something about doing that and then finding people that have the expertise to help you do that. Cause we don't always have those folks proximate in our circles, you know? Um, mm -hmm. but then on the thinking side, um, I think we just have to remember that when we walk into a place where, especially a person of color, where I may be the only or the first or whatever it is that I actually belong. Um, and related to that, uh, that, I, that, that is not a, that is not a set aside. There's not a lower bar that I belong. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and then secondarily to that or related to that is that I need to remember my strengths. I'm not perfect. I have weaknesses. I think I have the things I need to develop, but I damn sure know what I'm good at. And when things get tough, I come back to those things that I know are my core strengths and I rest on those. And the last one is, you know, pushing myself to be a little bold and a little brash. I do feel like opportunities, especially in corporate America, favor the bold. And the more that mm -hmm. I can be a little more forward-leaning without being arrogant and off-putting, um, it helps a ton. Alphas are never last, but Greg Carr, uh, since you are a fellow Alpha as Jason, uh, you get the last question. First of all, thank you, Brother Roland. Uh, congratulations, Frat. Um, oh, by the way, my vote 
is for red tails. So if you at the table, brother, red tails from brother continue. <laughs> he's already, he's already <laughs> said it's not gonna be <laughs> red tails. Right? He already said it's not gonna be red tails, but go ahead, I got you. Well, that's all right. But 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 but, but you know, maybe this is from watching too many episodes of Ballers, brother. But uh in addition to being the first brother, you're also the youngest in the league. Yeah. Do you think that in this moment when everything is being renegotiated? That gives you an inside straight with younger players, with the players, with the agents, as we see more black agents and, and people, of uh, non-white folks being agents. Does this give you an opportunity on your way to ownership? We're just going to claim that right now. Oh, to okay. uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it's too many episodes of ballers, as I said. But does this give you an advantage, perhaps, that every other GM in the league doesn't have? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I hope it does. Team president, not, yeah. yeah, no, 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 no. I, I hope it does. You know, I hope... Um, uh, that that youth helps in a few ways. You know, it affect it it, it it affects how I think. It affects the things I've been exposed to. Um, I do think there's an ability to connect to the player experience um, that is not necessarily important for running the team because Coach Rivera's got the team. But as we think about how that's incorporated into the brand and how we engage players and alumni and bring them into the way that we engage fans and redesign the fan experience, I think it will help. And and I do think um, you know there's a little bit of you know, proximity to pop culture, whatever you want to call it, that will help us be in, uh, really innovative and maybe a bit disruptive with the ideas that we bring to the table um, around redesigning the fan experience and things like that. So I hope it helps. Um, but I also really value the sage expertise that exists in the organization that I want to preserve because we need that dynamic of all of these things coming together. You don't need some wild ass young guy's idea that doesn't <laughs> isn't rooted um, in the pragmatics and practicality of someone who's been in the industry for 30 years and knows what works, um, you know, in peer-to-peer -peer marketing or working with, uh, you know, with with sponsors. So I think um, I'm looking to bring what I am, but also make sure that we have a team around me and everybody there that's balanced and gets us to a good answer. All right, then. Uh, Frat, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Uh, good luck. I just have one request. I am from Houston, Texas. I came out the womb hating the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Henry is, he, Henry, he, he claimed, by, he claimed everybody, he had big time, my production guy, big time Dallas Cowboys fan. I just have one request. You want to say, I hate the Cowboys more than I hate the Klan. So I just have, <laughs> one, I just have one request. I need y'all to beat their ass twice a year. That's all. I mean, y'all, look, I know you want to win. Y'all going to lose the other 14, 15 games. Just beat them twice a year so we can <laughs> shut his mouth when y'all play him. That's all I ask. I promise, Coach Rivera, I wouldn't touch football stuff at all, but I will speak on his behalf here and say that is 100% in the plan. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Jason Wright, thank you very much, Pratt. Take care. All Good right, luck. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We come back. Linda Sarsour will join us. Uh, she, of course, was a Bernie Sanders surrogate. She did uh, an event earlier this week, Muslims for Joe Biden. The Biden campaign disavowing her, says she has nothing to do with the campaign. We'll get her response next, right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. Census takers will be visiting households to make sure we are counted. Too much is at stake. Respond online today. Shape your future. Start here at 2020census.gov. 
If our community comes together to support the fight against racial injustice, I want to take a second to talk about one thing we can do to ensure our voices are heard. Not tomorrow, but now. Have your voices heard in terms of what kind of future we want by taking the 2020 census today at 2020census.gov? Now, folks, let me help you out. The census is a count of everyone living in the country. It happens once every 10 years. It is mandated by the U.S. Constitution. The thing that's important is that the census informs funding, billions of dollars, how they are spent in our communities every single year. I grew up in Clinton Park in Houston, Texas, and we wanted, to, we wanted new parks and roads and a senior citizen center. Well, the census helps inform all of that and where funding goes. It also determines how many seats your state will get in the U.S. House of Representatives. Young black men and young children of color are historically undercounted, which means a potential loss of funding for services that helps our community. Folks, we have the power to change that. We have the power to help determine where hundreds of billions in federal funding go each year for the next 10 years. Funding that can impact our community, our neighborhoods, and our families and friends. Folks, responses are 100% confidential and can't be shared with your landlord, law enforcement, or any government agency. So please, take the 2020 census today. Shape your future. Start at 2020census.gov. Folks, Joe Biden's campaign has disavowed Palestinian-American activist Linda Sarsour after she spoke at the Democratic National Committee Muslims and Allies Virtual Assembly. She appeared at the online meeting of Muslims who will be campaigning for Biden for president. Biden's campaign spokesman Andrew Bates said this in a statement to CNN that Biden, the Democratic platform, condemns Sarsour's views and opposes the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement. Sarsour has been involved in a number of controversies over her activism related to Israel. Also, of course, she's one of the co-organizers of the Women's March. She joins us right now. Linda, glad to have you back on Roland Martin Unfiltered. So th this is... Um, you were a surrogate for Senator Bernie Sanders. Um, you, you were out there, you were advocating uh, for him. Um, you, uh, this particular event, were you invited to participate in this event? And did that come from activists, it come from the party? Thank you so much, Roland, for having me here today. Um, what's really interesting about this particular controversy that I'm in, Roland, and you followed many of my controversies, is that it was unprovoked. Nothing actually happened. I am not only am I a, was I a former surrogate for the Bernie Sanders campaign, I am an official delegate to the DNC. I am a delegate from the great state of New York. There was a Muslim delegate assembly, which means that all Muslim delegates are invited to it. I was asked by Muslim leaders and delegates at this event to speak. And one of the reasons why I was invited to speak is because to give legitimacy and credibility to the position that I hold, which many Muslim Americans and Arab Americans hold. There is not much enthusiasm in our community around Joe Biden. But as you know, I have been putting forth this framework that Joe Biden is the best opponent for us to have in the White House and that we cannot defeat fascism. Um, you know, we have to defeat fascism which is why I'm going to put my vote on Joe Biden. So this so this thing came out like like you just just jumped up like you jumped up on the stage. So you're saying you are you oh, I had an you you have credentials. Oh, I am a credentialed DNC delegate. I was formally invited to speak on this Muslim assembly. I didn't I was not just I didn't like protest. 
And it was, and in fact, um, Roland, the actual entire assembly situation is actually a video on the DNC website and you can watch it. And in fact, you would laugh, you would laugh because you know me very well. I was actually quite bland and out of character. I was, I didn't even mention Israel. I didn't say BDS. I didn't say anything. I didn't talk about Palestine. All I said was the Muslim Americans are swing voters. We are not a monolithic community. We are people who care more, more, uh, you know, uh, about more than just national security and Palestine and Israel and foreign policy. We are actually a community that cares about health care and education and infrastructure and jobs and the economy. And that is really it. I was so out of character. I, it's like I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. I'm minding my own business, Roland, as you know. Um, I moved with your dear sister, our dear sister, Tamika Mallory, to Louisville, Kentucky. I wake up in the morning yesterday to find this controversy. And here I am, you know, not not ignoring national politics, really putting my mind on something that I believe deeply in, which is to get justice for Breonna Taylor. And here goes the Joe Biden campaign, throwing the most prominent Muslim American organizer under the bus. Not only am I the most prominent Muslim organizer in America, I'm also the leader and the co-founder of the My Muslim Vote campaign that is stationed in six states right now that Joe Biden needs to win in November. And I don't even know what to say. A white spokesperson, Roland Martin, was cow coward to the right-wing media, coward to the Republicans, literally. He, the, the original drama came from Borgen, who you know is a senior advisor to the Trump campaign. He's the one with, that was like, oh my God, Linda's speaking at the DNC. And immediately the Biden campaign cowered to the right wing and went to answer. And when they disavow my views, which is what they said, they said they condemned my views, not, not from what I said at the DNC, just in general, that means they condemn the views of 99.9% .9 of the communities that I come from who hold the exact views that I have. The, um, so it has to be perplexing or difficult for you to sit here and go, okay, I'm a delegate, which means you actually got to vote on the nominee. You are yep. active in trying to get the nominee elected. And his campaign is like, Hell no, we want nothing to do with you at all. And, and my views, they want nothing to do with my views, which means those views are not welcomed in the Democratic Party, which by default means that my whole community is not welcomed in the Democratic Party because the views that I hold, Roland, are mainstream in the communities that I come from. When your critics call you anti-Semitic, when they say you're racist, when they say you're a bigot, when they say you hate Israel, how do you respond? My track record, Roland, is very clear. I have been working with Jewish American communities for the last two decades. They all have come out. Many of them have come out in solidarity each time that I've been attacked for being anti-Semitic. The bottom line is what I am is a Palestinian American. What I am is someone who challenges the narrative around the state of Israel. I am someone, Roland, who is going to be unapologetic about who I am, just as Roland is unapologetically black. I do not have to change who I am, change my views to appease anyone. And I don't actually require anybody else to do the same. So when I'm being called anti-Semitic, it's actually quite antithetical to everything that I am. And you know me very well. I'm a person where there is an injustice. That is where I am. I have raised money for desecrated Jewish cemeteries. I have stood in solidarity with Jewish communities. I have organized, you know, in solidarity with black people, with undocumented people, with LGBTQIA people, wherever there is a fight, Roland, that is where I am. So you cannot claim something that does not match my character, does not match my 
work, my track record, my literally my everyday. And everyone who knows me, Roland, knows exactly who I am and what I stand for. And I'm not going to cower. And, and the bottom line is, and you know this, I have never been an ambassador to the Democratic Party. I have never been, uh, I was never an ambassador for the Joe Biden campaign. I never worked for the Joe Biden campaign, nor do I want to work for it, nor do I want to ever have a job in the administration. I am trying to help defeat fascism. And if if the Trump, if the if the Biden campaign doesn't understand why my voice is important, not only do I br- bring Arab American and Muslim voters to the table from states like Michigan, which, you know, we have to win in order to win this general election. I also bring progressives to the table. I bring Bernie supporters to the table. I am very well respected in the progressive movement. So if you want to if you want to throw under the bus one of the most prominent uh, women organizers in the country, you do that and, and you're going to have to lay in the bed that you made. The last thing that I'll say about this, you know, uh, in this segment, Roland, is that while I was watching the women's tribute, I don't know if you watched it yesterday. Um, I did. I did. Listen, they the forget Linda, put, put me to the side. Right. Make believe that nothing ever happened to me. And I'm great. Did you notice, Roland, that they were showing footage of all these women who won office, their victory speeches, these really emotional moments? Did you notice that two of the most prominent politicians in America, which are Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib and Congressman Ilhan Omar, were nowhere to be found. So you wanted to show us everyone else that made history, but you left out the two Muslim women. You left out the Palestinian women. Then you want to disavow me, and then you show footage of the Women's March on Washington, and you, in fact, show my photo. Like, I'm in the video. So how does that make sense, Roland? How do you use my labor to act as if the Women's March somehow was connected to the Democratic Party, which it was not? never been funded by the Democratic Party or sponsored by the Democratic Party. And then you literally delete and erase two of the most prominent politicians who come from these communities, also representing Midwestern states. Rashida's from Michigan, Ilhan's from Minnesota, and you need to win both those states in order to go to the White House. And on top of that, there is not one single Muslim American on ta- in the entire main stage. You will not see a Muslim American in the main stage of the DNC. Why is that, Roland? Why are we a community directly targeted by Trump the, in, in the bigotry that we've experienced as Muslim Americans in the last 20 years, especially during the last 2016 campaign into now. And for some reason, this particular brand of the party and the Biden campaign have erased us like we don't exist. OK, then I don't know how you're going to ask me for my vote if I don't exist, but, if my community doesn't exist. But before I go to my panel with your questions, um, I, I do have to ask you this, uh, and that is and a lot of people did not real, realize this. But in 2000, George W. Bush was very aggressive in courting Muslim voters. Grover Norquist played a huge role in organizing that. Uh, Bush raised money from Muslims. Uh, he, uh, he got a significant number of their votes. You just made the point that Muslim voters are swing voters. Fact of the matter is, the fastest growing segment among Muslims in America are African Americans. Absolutely. So with this whole deal here, uh, do you believe that the Biden campaign is potentially turning off Muslim voters uh, and now saying, OK, are we not going to examine every single one of you and what you support and what you, and who you back before? 
Oh, it's not. It's not. Maybe it already happened. I mean, every major Arab American and Muslim American organization has sent out letters publicly and privately to the Biden campaign at this moment. There are conversations happening in the campaign. When you say to someone, if I say to you, Roland, that I condemn all of your views and you carry views that 99 percent of the people in your community hold, that means we're all not welcome. And so my community right now is absolutely enraged. They are outraged right now. And what they're asking for from the Biden campaign is a retraction. They're asking for an apology. And they have to commit to a big tent party where we have the understanding that unity is not uniformity. And that the reason what makes us different than the Republican Party is we are not monolithic. And there is no way that we can have a party where we are all going to agree. And if my views and the views of my community are not welcomed in the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party is not going to be a successful party. Muslim Americans are swing voters in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Virginia, in Florida, and in Texas, and in Minnesota. Ilhan Omar represents the city of Minneapolis. The fact, and right now we just saw a poll that came out where Donald Trump and Biden are literally tied in a place like Minnesota, and Biden is only ahead of Trump by 3% in the state of Michigan. We cannot repeat 2016 over. So my community right now is outraged. I'm going to still tell my community, look, we got to defeat fascism, but I cannot convince people and do the work and the dirty work of the Biden campaign. They have to step up. They have to say they made a mistake and they have to apologize. And then hopefully the my community will come around after that. Question first off, Erica. Yes, great speaking with you, Linda. This is uh, Erica. And my question for you is, uh, prior to this happening, uh, what was the temperature um, of uh, Muslim Americans and um, folks that you reached out to prior to this and then um, post? I appreciate that, um, Erica. To be quite honest with you, lots of people in the Muslim American and Arab American communities have specific things that they care about in addition to issues that other people care about, like health care, et cetera. Majority of Muslim Americans support Medicare for all. Biden does not support Medicare for all. A majority of Muslim Americans want to abolish agencies like ICE, which were created after 9-11, really to target Muslims and those that were perceived to be terrorist threats, and they want to abolish ICE, Biden does not support that. We also have seen surveys coming out of the Institute for Social Policy, understanding on issues of police reform and defunding police, et cetera, which a lot of Muslim Americans support. And also when it comes to foreign policy, the Muslim American community is a very pro-Palestinian community. They support human rights of the Palestinian people. I mean, it's not something that unfortunately Biden has a track record in. So the temperature check was okay, Linda, we don't like Biden. We don't think he represents our values. We don't think life is going to be better after, you know, in a, a better with a, with a Biden administration. It may not get worse, but we don't know if it's going to get better. And my framing that I have been able to bring people along, people have shared my videos. I have been on local, um, you know, Muslim media, blogging, where I've said to people, mm -hmm. but let's make a decision here. What if we say that we want Biden to be our opponent in the White House? And people literally, Erica, were going along with my argument saying that Biden wow. would be our opponent, we would build the movement under him, we would push him to mm -hmm. do what better and do better. And now they're like, if we can't hold the Biden campaign accountable when he's the candidate and we can't even get some mm -hmm. respect candidate, how are we going to get respect and hold him accountable when he's the actual president of the United States of America? And to be honest, Erica, I don't actually have an answer to those people in my community at this particular moment. Uh, Reese. <laughs> 
Hi, Linda. Um, I don't really have a question, but my comment is just that it, it sounds to me like the Biden campaign needs to work on their cultural competency in matters like this and um, how they approach different communities instead of a knee-jerk reaction. And so um, I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing and continuing to push through and outreach to your community, despite the fact that there are some ideological differences there. I appreciate that. And I think just so folks understand, um, Roland, is that the man who's the director of rapid response um, is a white man. And I'm not and I don't use that necessarily in a derogatory way. But to your point about cultural competency is that trust me when I tell you if it was a black woman or a person of color that was there, they would not have a knee jerk reaction that would require them to throw a Muslim American woman in hijab who's Palestinian, who's part of the larger movements that we need to win this election under the bus. Someone of color who had the expertise would have been more strategic, more logical. And the real thing that I wanted them to do, just to be clear, I don't need the Biden campaign to agree with our community, to agree on our issues. What I, what I would have said if I was the director of rapid response and asked the question about Linda Sarsour participating in the DNC, my answer would have been, to be clear, Linda is a DNC delegate from the great state of New York. And while we do not agree with Linda and on these issues, the Democratic Party is a big tent and we welcome people to have spirited debate because that is what makes democracy great. That's all. They could have said they disagreed with me. They could have said they disagreed on the issue of BDS, on the issue of you know Palestine, Israel. And that would have been totally fine with me. I would have been totally fine because I already know that. I am not naive to think that the Biden campaign actually agrees with me on probably 90% of the things that I believe. The fact that they thought that the knee-jerk reaction was to throw important swing voters under the bus, a marginalized community that has been quite even more marginalized in the last 20 years and more so under the Trump administration. The first executive order, Roland, you remember I was on your show about this. The first executive order put forth by the Trump administration was the Muslim ban. Right. That was the first piece of paper that he signed. So the fact that we are going to throw the entire Muslim American community and Arab American Palestinian communities by saying we condemn these views in our party. First of all, it's not true because a majority of, 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 of de Democrats have moved exponentially on the issue of Israel-Palestine. And they have also, uh, many in the Democratic Socialists and a lot in the progressive wing of the party, have embraced the boycott, divestment, sanctions movement as a nonviolent movement to resist the human rights violations that the state of Israel commits against Palestinians. So they, the, the Democratic Party needs to catch up with us. I'm not trying to catch up with the Democratic Party because they're 20 years behind me. And so the question is, can they do that in a very short period of time so we could win this damn election and defeat this damn fascist in the White House? Greg Carr. Thank you, Roland. And thank you, Sister Linda, um, particularly in this moment for relocating to Louisville, you and Sister Tamika, my young brother, uh, Sean Ali Waddell, who's down there, who's a Howard student. I know he's been down there yeah. with y'all. He's t telling yes. me he's so, he loved it so much. And I saw Nick came down last week with you all, Nick Cannon. So thank you yes, on behalf of all of us who are fighting for free. Um, mm -hmm. we, I'm going to try to talk and ask you this question as if there are no cameras. So we know there's a different conversation when cameras, right? But mm -hmm. pragmatically, uh, this fear-driven Democratic Party, try and ch still try and chase those three imaginary Trump voters. Uh, whether you, whatever you do, they could cut the, whatever you do, they're going to hang the Muslims, hang the black, hang everybody on them anyway. So, and I love the way you frame this, you know, he's the best opponent to have in the White House, you know. When they don't roll it back, because it looks like they really are trying to replicate 2016, you know, when they when they don't roll this back, what do we need to do to prevent any more erosion so that we don't end up with this fascist in the White House? I mean, I, I don't know that you're prepared to be able to have that kind of conversation with us now here, but what's the step when they don't? Because that wasn't an accident, just like leaving Ilhan and Rashida and them out. 
that's no accident. They're, they're chasing them imaginary white voters who will never vote for them. So what what is the what's the strategy if they don't when they don't roll it back? Don't apologize. I mean, the bottom line here is they're going to have to, again, they're going to have to reap what they sow, and they also have to lay in the bed that they made. But I, it's also bigger than the, the myself and my communities. What I've been telling folks, and it's a strategy that I hope works, it may work, it may not work. I said, listen, you may not be enthusiastic about Joe Biden being your president, but you know this and I know this. There are young black people across this country running for office, running for congressional seats. We have people of color and immigrants and women right now who also need to win those races in November. We have an opportunity, as you know, in a place like South Carolina for Jamie Harrison to take out Lindsey Graham. Like we really have a lot of great races that we need to be focusing on. So what I'm telling a lot of people in my community, I said, listen, find a local candidate that really inspires you, someone that really aligns with your values and principles. Knock those doors, do the text messages, do whatever it is that you need to do, donate the money. And what I hope happens is that it trickles from the bottom up. If we can if we can get higher voter turnout around some of these candidacies in these important swing states, that may mean that when you go to the polls, we hope that people are voting up and down the ballot. So not only do they vote for the candidate that they love, but they're also saying, well, my candidate is on this party line. Maybe I should just go up and down the ballot, which is what I'm saying to people. That is one strategy that I'm holding. Um, I don't know if it's going to work. I do think that the Biden administration has to apologize to Muslim and Arab American communities only because, number one, it's the right thing to do, but also because we are swing voters. Like the state of Michigan, Roland knows this very well. It's home to the highest concentration of Muslim American voters mm -hmm. in the entire country. We have large populations in California, in New York, and they are more than the one in Michigan. But Michigan is the most highly concentrated. You cannot win an election without Michigan. You don't need New York. You don't need California. You cannot win a, you cannot win a, a race without Minnesota. You can't win a race without Virginia and Pennsylvania and North Carolina and Florida. And this is where our community is concentrated. We are a very diverse community. People in my community don't look just like me. We are South Asian. We are Arab American, Southeast Asian. We're African American. We are African immigrants. We are literally represent the globe. And the, the, the campaign just snubbed us. And so the question is, are we a community that is only about acceptance or are we also about respect? We have self-respect. And our community right now is waiting and they have been demanding. They wrote public letters. The, the campaign knows how outraged our community leaders are right now. And these are the people that are supposed to move the people. And as a leader of the My Muslim Vote campaign, it's going to be, a, 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 I was already an uphill battle and the, the mountain was already high for me to climb. And now the mountain just got really slippery. Somebody just dumped a bucket of soap on the mountain and I have to figure out how to get to the top. And that is what the administration, this, this campaign has done, just made our work um, just a lot, uh, much, much, much harder than it already is. Linda Sarsour, we certainly appreciate you joining us uh, to uh, give your perspective on this issue. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. F folks, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law is suing Postmaster General Louis DeJoy and the United States Postal Service for the actions intended to disrupt the 2020 election. They are suing on behalf of the National Urban League, Common Cause, and the League of Women Voters. Uh, the, to challenge the actions intended, again, as I said, to disrupt the 2020 election. Joining us right now is Christian Clark. She's the president and executive director for the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. So, uh, Christian, what is the basis of your lawsuit? Well, uh, there is a pandemic that has gripped the nation. There are Americans all across the country that are casting their votes by mail in historic numbers because they have no other choice. And what does this administration do? They put in place a new postmaster general just two months ago, Louis DeJoy. He has no experience inside the Postal Service. 
But he's a Trump mega donor. And in two months, he's wreaked havoc and chaos. He has eliminated overtime for postal workers. He's ripped up blue post office, uh, blue uh, mailboxes from communities. He has eliminated scanning machines used to sort uh, mail in mass. Uh, he's put in place a hiring freeze. I mean, you name it, he has done it. And he has done this with the goal of carrying out President Trump's agenda, his goal of silencing and discouraging people of voting by mail this season. So with about seven day, 75 days to go until the November election, we're not going to stand by idly and wait to see what happens. On Tuesday, we filed a federal lawsuit in Maryland. Our clients include the National National Urban League, League of Women Voters, Common Cause, organizations that work every day to register people to vote. And we're arguing that Louis DeJoy's actions violate the Constitution. He, he is literally taking action intended to suppress people's voting rights. And he's also undertaken all of these postal, all of these policies without going to the U.S. Postal Commission and getting clearance for the changes as required under administrative law. So we're going to fight tooth and nail. This is one of the most consequential elections of our lifetime. And we know that this administration is bent on undertaking any action possible to disenfranchise voters. Um, and so you're suing them. What do you want to achieve? What remedy do you want the court to put into place? Because he's already said, the Speaker Nancy Pelosi, uh, that he has halted uh, the changes until after the election. Yeah, that falls flat with us. It, it rings hollow. Uh, we're not buying his mea culpa. He needs to be held accountable. He has proven every day during his two months on the job that he is there to hijack and turn the U.S. Postal Service upside down, an agency that's been in place for over 200 years. And you never hear controversy about the Postal Service because it's run by postal workers who do their job. They get mail to people and they get it to them on time. So we're not buying uh, his apology. We're not going to stand by and wait to see what happens. We're in court right now making sure that we can get remedial relief to address the damage that he has done. He has done tremendous damage during his two months on the job. We run a program called Election Protection. It's anchored by the 866-Hour Vote Hotline. And Roland, over the last few weeks, we have heard from thousands of voters who have said, you know what? I requested my absentee ballot weeks ago, and it hasn't gotten here. It's election day. What should I do? And we're getting ready for the general election, where we know that there are going to be historic numbers of people who are turning out. So we're, we're not going to stand by. We need to get the U.S. Postal Service back on track, back to the status quo. And it's going to take work for him to correct the damage that he has done. All right, then. Christian Clark, Lawrence Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Uh, Greg Carr, uh, these lawsuits are important. This is also why uh, I, I often, when Christian is on, uh, look, I tell people why we have to support the Lawrence Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. You have other legal civil rights organizations. Uh, you have NAACP, LDF. You got uh, Barbara Arnwine's organization. These are the folks who are using the court system the same way Thurgood Marshall did and so many others. Uh, that matters. So action in the streets, 
action in the suites and politics in corporate America, but you got to have the lawyers too. It all works together, bro. Um, we know that, and I read the brief that they submitted, um, I think in the prayer for relief, I think it was item seven, they asked for everything that they've done so far to be reversed. Talk about Rashida Tlaib. I saw Congresswoman Tlaib standing in front of the post office and one of the post offices in Detroit the other day saying it's not enough for them to say they're going to stop everything. You've got to reverse it now. All these mailboxes that you've taken up, all these mail sorters that you've taken up and begun to destroy. And so you're absolutely right. This has to be a full spectrum approach. It's interesting thinking about Linda Sarsour and then seeing our, our sister Kristen Clark. You know, it might look like those are two different kind of sets of politics, but it's all part of the same thrust and strategy. And the last thing I'll say is interesting. Julius Hobson, who actually was vice president nominee for the People's Party in 1974, went to Tuskegee. He was the first black person from HBCU to be nominated for vice president. Uh, Benjamin Spock. Remember Spock ran for president, Dr. Spock. But, you know, Hobson is known in Washington, D.C. for being one of the main figures who said it's not enough just to vote. You got to get in the streets and back those people in electoral politics with street action. And then you got to have lawyers in place for when they try to arrest you. So all of this works together. They are going to steal this election unless everybody plays their position. The lawyers like Kristen, the folks in the street, electoral politics, it all works together. Because believe me, that's what their team is doing. They're all working together. Uh, Reese, uh, it is going to be a battle. And, and I keep telling people, uh, and, and, and you heard Michelle Obama modify her when they go high, when they go low, we go high. <laughs> she, let, let's, just be, let's just be honest. She modified that thing a couple nights ago uh, because of how Trump and his folks have operated in the last three years. Yeah, and um, I'm still going lower than what Michelle said. I said, when they go low, I'm going to punch them in the face. But I do respect that uh, First Lady Michelle Obama can't go as far as I would go. But this is an all-hands-on-deck situation. I definitely applaud the work that Kristen Clark is doing in her organization. You have a different state's attorney generals that are stepping up to the plate. Uh, Congress is starting to put a little bit more pressure, and specifically the Democrats in Congress, let's be clear, is starting to put a little bit more pressure on it. But the one one, the one good thing about this obstruction and this voter suppression is that we all know it's happening. They've given us enough time to make a voting plan A, as uh, you know, Erica has been really, 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 really beating that drum about making a voting plan, but they've given us enough time to know that we have to have a voting plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and a plan D. And so that is the power of knowing uh, indisputably what we're up against. You know, I don't know if it's enough time to reverse the damage that they've done to the U.S. Postal Service. I think that they're going to have to, just to some degree, undo some of that damage because it's, it's not just impacting absentee ballots. It's impacting our, our actual economic flow and people's livelihoods in terms of being able to get their medication. So I do think that we have a battle on hands, but but, you know, it's going to take all of us getting involved and making sure ultimately that they do not succeed in suppressing the vote in the way that they want to. Erica. Yeah, this is a buffet for everybody, this operation of voter suppression. And uh, while Kristen, you were talking with Kristen, um, I was on Twitter and actually it retweeted something that she had tweeted out moments before she came on to talk with you, Roland. And that was specifically around now our postal and service and postal employees are getting a memo saying, listen, if you get, you don't talk to the press and then be very suspicious of um, 
folks uh, who are customers that are asking a series of questions. So it is that same type of paranoia. It is that projection, that whole really regime presence that has really trickled down and they're funneling down into all of these different levels of service. And so I think that people are really seeing, particularly folks that are in rural community, um, our native brothers and sisters that are on reservations, but particularly people that have not been subject to voter suppression before, that this is an equal opportunity for all. And people are seeing how it's interrupting their days. We saw, you know, uh, photographs of, excuse me, a mail room in which there was still mail that had not yet been delivered since August the 7th. And here we are going into the third week of August. Um, and so um, I love what everyone said around playing their role, but it's really about definitely keeping on the pressure because as we all are really feeling this scene, there's so many different layers to invalidating this election that this son of a Klansman will not not try. But it is really the will of the people that are really going to make sure that people not only vote, but that they bring folks with them, but then that they also are able to fight back this voter suppression by showing up early um, and showing up with other people, too. Folks, got to go to a break. We come back. We're going to talk Flint settlement, uh, 600 million bucks. We'll also Steve Bannon. Perk Walt, I'll explain. And the latest rounds of anti-Trump viral videos. We have all of that for you. Don't move. Next on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. rollermartinunfiltered.com. Seek.com, a great deal for you. They have their virtual reality headsets right here. Just simply drop your cell phone right in. You can look at the content, the virtual reality content on Seek.com right through with these headsets. Uh, Mary Spio, a sister, uh, she is the creator of this, founder of the company. In addition, they have these 360-degree 4D headphones. Amazing bass. You can use this for music, watch videos, also for gaming. Has a microphone, Bluetooth as well, so you can use it for your conversations. Absolutely fabulous. And of course, I love the colors of black and gold. My alpha colors. Uh, if y'all want to get these, uh, go to seek.com, C-E-E-K.com. Use the promo code right here, RMVIP2020. RMVIP2020 for you to take advantage of these products. We support black-owned businesses right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered, and we appreciate them uh, supporting what we do as well. Folks, in Flint, a water crisis legal settlement has been proposed. It totals six. $100 million and will create a victim compensation fund. Flint residents will be eligible for hundreds of millions of dollars in payments from a court-monitored victim compensation fund with nearly 80% of the payments going to those who were under 18 at the time of the crisis, which of course began in April 2014. Now, part of the settlement would include multiple government defendants, including the state of Michigan, 
the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality, and all individual state defendants, including former Michigan Governor Rick Snyder, who left office in 2018. Children are particularly vulnerable to the toxic, toxic effects of lead, which can impact brain development, and the state will create a dedicated $12 million fund to provide special education and other services for students who suffer long-term health and behavioral impact from lead poisoning. About 65% of the money will go to Flint residents who were six and under when lead for when they were first exposed to lead in Flint water, with 10% going to those who were between the ages of 7 and 11, 5% those who were 12 to 17, and about 15% go to adults, 3% for property damage, and 0.5% to cover business losses. This, Greg, uh, is, again, it's one of those things that, frankly, could have been averted. And the fact mm. that here we are six years later, and they're just getting to a settlement, the children there, there were a number of women who, again, this is where, where, where all the pro-lifers, a number of women lost children because of this, 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 this Flint water crisis. And these children are going to have to be monitored for the next 20, 30 years. Their, their children are going to be, have to be monitored as a result of what happened. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Roland. And again, it just under, under, undergirds the importance of process with this. I mean, in uh, I think it was 2018, Judge Levy there, a uh, federal judge, district court judge, uh, appointed, uh, I think, Senator, I'm trying to remember, Carl Levin, I think, was one of the people who was appointed to monitor this. And the, and the negotiations are ongoing with, the, you know, they, they're going on to sue the EPA. That's one of the things in this settlement and so forth. But the point is that you have to have, this is why Participating in the political process is so important. These are federal judges who are, are mandating this stuff, who are convening these types of entities. And when you do not participate, you can set it up, whether it be a lawsuit to say, put the mailboxes back, or one to say, make this right in the city of Flint. A judge is going to hear that. A federal judge is going to hear that. And those judges are appointed by the people we vote for. Other thing I would say is that it's a little unsettling because we got to focus on the young people. But for every dollar that goes to those six and unders, that's a dollar that's not going to go to the older people. And we don't know the health outcomes of those people yet. And so, you know, this this is a this is a wonderful victory, but it's one victory in an ongoing war that started, as Brother Pennick said in Atlanta, with COVID-16-19. This is the structural racism we face. We see to Greg's point, to Greg's point, a federal judge is overseeing this. This is why federal judges matter. Democrats don't spend lots of time talking about the judicial system. Republicans, they do, especially the evangelicals, the white conservative Christians. But the reality, this is why you want fair-minded judges who believe in what's right for the people as opposed to far right-wing judges who, who are more about corporations. Right. And Donald Trump has already gotten over to Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell have already gotten over 200 judges. They have uh, reshaped a quarter of the federal judiciary for over a generation, maybe two even generations. And so um, it is a topic that is undercovered in terms of the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party, I think, is lacking in just educating people on civics because the, the Republicans understand um, using every level, lever of the government to push forth their agenda, whereas Repo Democrats do tend to focus a little bit more on personality and the big names um, at the top of the ticket. And so this is an opportunity to demonstrate, as you said, how it is so important that we have a, the next president be Joe Biden so that we can get these uh, judges, the next several hundred judges, um, appointed by a Democratic president.
Um, that is, again, this is the thing that I, I keep trying to lay out to folk, um, uh, Erica, that when you look at these sort of cases, people, people keep saying, oh, I'm not worrying about uh, what happens at the top of the ticket. Who picks federal judges? Presidents. Who confirms or rejects federal judges? Senate. Mm -hmm. So the Senate, the senators matter. Right. And, you know, that's a unique um, that's that is the unique quality of this show, that people are going to be educated and that connecting the dots is a continuum continuum of Roland Martin unfiltered. And then we also look at with um, uh, Senator Kamala Harris, um, Biden Harris and the White House means that uh, Senator Kamala, um, Madam Vice President Kamala Harris will be the president of the Senate, which means that she will be able to cast tie breaking votes. Um, and when you think about tie-breaking votes during the uh, Obama-Biden administration, um, Vice President Dan Biden did not cast any tie-breaking votes. And we see that in this particular Senate that Mike Pence has aided and abetted getting over the finish line, one um, Elizabeth Betsy DeVos. He's cast 13 um, tie-breaking votes. And so when you're thinking, when we all thinking about the federal courts and thinking about this is not just now, you're talking about in the future. If somebody has a veteran's claim, when you're talking about the different divisions that are assigned to these specific courts, although someone may not see the importance on it on face, it does reach into all of our homes and into all of our lives. So it's not just about the ticket. It's about what we're going to be able to do with the ticket that is not focused on um, being uh, an oligarchy, that is not focused on regime, that is not um, focused on collapsing absolute power, um, that is actually listening to the people and having a conversation. So um, this is really um, another um, fine example of why folks need to be involved in the body, um, the body politic, because there is a lane for everyone and that uh, it does affect um, all of our lives. All right, folks, uh, our next story. You know what? I really do love that song by Smokey Robinson. D'Angelo remade it. <laughs> I love it when we're cruising together. Steve Bannon was just cruising down the down the ocean, and he was just having the time of his life, y'all, this morning on a $28 million yacht. Then all of a sudden, some folk with the postal service just rolled up and said, let me holler at you. Y'all, Steve Bannon, former campaign leader for Donald Trump, top advisor in the White House. This is what he looked like a few hours ago when he was in court. Oh, got a mask on. Steve Bannon was arrested. Wow. This is a artistic rendering. You know, no cameras are allowed in federal courts. This is an artistic rendering from Reuters. He was arrested on fraud charges in the border wall fundraising scam. Steve Bannon and three others defrauded donors by raising more than $25 million to build a wall along the southern border of the United States. According to the indictment, Bannon promised that all of the money would be used for the project. Oh, that was a lie. Instead, hundreds of thousands of dollars were used for personal gain. Do y'all know who I haven't heard from today? <laughs> I, I ain't heard from Steve Bannon's good buddy, Raynard Jackson. Oh. Mm. So you remember Raynard was talking all that trash? <coughs> well, 
Raynard went on Steve Bannon's radio show. So Steve Bannon is the latest Trumper, Reese, mm-hmm. to be indicted. And Trump was asked about this today. Oh, he was sad to hear it. But somebody said, but hold up, but you picked all these people. Right. Don't, don't, I mean, isn't it amazing? Then he tried to say, oh, <clears throat> Obama was corrupt. No, show please just re- refresh my memory. I don't recall Obama people doing perp walks. No. And uh, this is actually the second Trump campaign co-chair or manager to get arrested. Paul Manafort has already been convicted of crimes that he committed. Um, And so the Trump orbit is nothing more than a criminal enterprise. I think by the time, you know, in the next couple of years, we're going to see some RICO charges on all these people, and they're all going to go down. You know, the way that you get the white folks is you got to get them with the financial crimes, okay? They get the black folks with the with the stop and frisk and all the other stuff, but you got to get the white folks with the financial crimes. And so it's much harder to weasel out of these things because they have all the documentation. And so... Um, these are the chickens coming home to roost, and even Bill Barr cannot come to Steve Bannon's rescue. And the good thing is that this likely will not be dispositioned in a way that Donald Trump can pardon him or uh, c- commute his sentence like he did with um, with Roger Stone, and uh, he will be going to jail b- behind this. So uh, here, um, uh, the folks at the Midas Touch, you know, they don't wait long. They don't wait long. They already dropped they Steve Bannon ad. And you know I'm obliged to play it. <laughs> Papadopoulos was convicted of lying to the FBI about his contacts with Russians. He was the coffee boy. Don't remember much about it. Former Trump campaign advisor Rick Gates pleaded guilty. Paul Manafort convicted on eight criminal counts. George Nader just arrested today on child pornography charges. Associates of the president's personal lawyer Rudy Giuliani. Le Parnas and Igor Fruman. I don't even know. They are. Felix Sater. He is in the news because of his efforts to build a hotel in Moscow with Donald Trump. If he were sitting in the room right now, I, I really wouldn't know what he looked like. President Trump's longtime personal lawyer, Michael Cohen. Michael Flynn admitting he lied to the FBI. Roger Stone has now been found guilty on seven counts. Breaking news of Trump's ex-political advisor, Steve Bannon, being arrested in connection with a crowdfunding scheme called We Build the Wall. Midas Touch is responsible for the content of this advertising. Hey, Reese, I guess they might have a new slogan in the White House. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that they had the, the 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 only people who haven't been indicted yet. We do know from news this week that there had been several criminal referrals from the Senate uh, intelligence investigation that were sent to, I believe, Barr or one of... Trump's uh, corrupt attorney generals that were not acted upon. And so there are some people that are still in the crosshairs of criminal liability. But, but before I, I, I go to you, Greg, I, you know the Lincoln Project. They had to have <laughs> something to say, too. Of course. And I am obliged to play it. <laughs>
I guess if Trump wants some, some inside knowledge of the federal prison system, he can ask all of his former workers. Well, I suspect, Roland, he had some inside knowledge even of this. Because remember, this is the uh, Southern District of New York. That's where Audrey Strauss is her first biggest big case that she's announced since uh, Toadie Barr replaced Jeffrey Berman up there. Um, I think Trump probably knew about this. And, and, and you, you, you messy for going on Twitter and putting all them boat songs on there, brother. I'm, my, my contribution to your list was uh, the huge corporations. Song, hashtag songs for Steve Bannon. <laughs> songs for Steve Bannon. My, my contribution was uh, the huge corporation rock the boat. Don't rock, rock the boat. boat. Don't rock the boat, baby. <laughs> yeah, rock but, uh, the boat. Don't tip the boat over. You know what I'm saying? But, there's, but there's, there's a line in there. Up till now, we've sailed through every storm. But understand that Steve Bannon considers himself an intellectual. I used to see Steve Bannon over at Capitol mm. Hill Books right outside, right down the street from the Capitol. It, it's, it's not there anymore. But this shows you that appeals to intellect, appeals to trying to think through. I mean, Steve Bannon trying to create a globalist society, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, this is about naked power. When he couldn't serve yeah. Donald Trump anymore, they threw him overboard. And if you don't think that Barr didn't tell Trump before this went down that the Southern District was getting ready to drop their hammer, because remember, Trump said something the other day about, oh, Bannon, I don't know, man. Yeah, because it's your it's turn. True. I'm just waiting and on Steve Bannon's book we, and Steve Bannon to finally name all we, the names. But even that's not going to be enough, because between the QAnon people and the white nationalist party, they don't care about criminality. This is all about yeah. power, brother. Yep. So they will throw yeah. Steve Bannon. Oh, he's finding out now. So here, before I go, before, before oh, you speak, Erica, this is uh, when um, the orange one was asked about <laughs> his former homie, Steve Bannon, at the White House today. Well, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, there was great lawlessness in the Obama administration. They spied on our campaign illegally. Uh, and if you look at all of the things and all of the scandals they had, they had tremendous lawlessness. But I know nothing about I was not involved in the project. I have no idea who was. But I can tell you, I didn't know the people, the three people that were talked about were uh, people that I did not know. I don't believe I ever met them. Uh, I don't think that should be a privately financed wall. I don't think it's too complex. It's too big. And we're now up to 300 miles almost in another week, week and a half. We'll be up to 300 miles of wall uh, at the highest level. They were even having construction problems. I was reading the little I know about it I got from you. Uh, I was reading where they were having construction problems with the wall that they were they had a small area just to show people that we, they could build a wall and they were having a lot of problems where it was toppling over and other things. And I didn't like it because I didn't want to be associated with that. We built a very powerful wall. Uh, it was a wall that is virtually impossible to get through. It's very, very tough. It's very strong and it's everything the Border Patrol Reese, his ass line. Excuse me, Eric, his ass line. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's the father of lies and the son of a Klansman, right? Uh, when you think about Steve Bannon, I immediately think about, and I always go back to this moment in CPAC in February 2017, where he sat on stage and said very boldly, and it was printed across um, many, many publications, and people talked about it, well, except for black people, very casually, that the uh, plan for this particular regime was to deconstruct the administrative state. And now mm -hmm. Steve Bannon, the day after 
um, Senator Kamala Harris made it very clear um, that she knows a predator when she sees one and has no issue with prosecuting transnational criminal organizations mm -hmm. that that very next day that he was arrested. I think that's just very poetic in and of itself. And so um, when we uh, kind of look at, you know, the grifting nature, right, this emoluments president and that mm -hmm. things that come out of his loin pretty much do the same thing. Now, interestingly enough, um, from what I understand, the yacht that he was on was of a Chinese billionaire. So when you think about all of the money that A, chi a Chinese billionaire <laughs> reportedly tied to Chinese Secret Service. Uh, but go ahead, I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> but see, see, this is why you have to be tuned in to Roland Martin Unfiltered. And why all of this matters, everyone, is because while this regime... And um, I'm going to use the term that I love when Dr. Carr talks about toadies, William Barr, and all of those different sycophants and people um, that fall up under that regime, real uh, dear leader um, squadron, is that when you think about what they've been doing is telling Americans, listen, $600 a month, that's too much, maybe $200. However, I'm going to be um, home for about three weeks or somewhere for three weeks. We'll pick it up later. These are the people that are saying that they want to make sure that uh, corporations are taken care of. They want to make sure that they're uh, taken care of, the NRA, all of these different kind of um, organizations, but starving yes. Americans. And so I think that when people see this particular regime and all of the people that um, come out of this regime, it is real, real to me. It makes it much, much easier to cast a vote for people who actually do um, um, believe in um, some level of the rule of law. But I, I do want to remind y'all that Donald Trump said, I never believed in this this project. I did not support <laughs> this project. But your grifting ass son did. Your name, <laughs> your namesake. His campaign rally. I guy? am, I am obliged to play. This video. And thank you guys for being here. Brian, thank you so much for all your sacrifices doing this and showing really what capitalism's all about, right? This is private enterprise at its finest, doing it better, faster, cheaper than anything else. And what you guys are doing is pretty amazing. Uh, it started from a grassroots effort, uh, and it's just doing some wonderful things for an important issue. Uh, and thank you guys for being here. Brian, thank you so much for all your sacrifices doing this. So, the, the, the Brian... He was referencing. That's one of the people who got indicted today. <laughs> so when Donald Trump says, oh, I was never down with this. Yeah, but Fredo was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't say that about Fredo. He's not, he's not dumb, he's smart. He's smart and he wants respect, brother. <laughs> Fredo was. Fredo was. See, y'all. There is no Michael Corleone I, I, I in that I kept trying to tell y'all, this <laughs> is the thug-in-chief. This is the thug-in-chief. This is, they all are grifters. And you know who the stupidest people out there are? These stupid conservatives who just keep giving these fools money. Remember the other fools who had that Trump pack? And the fools thought they were giving money for Trump re-election and all that they were doing was simply paying themselves. I keep trying to tell, look, you, you stupid if you give money to Candace Owens. You stupid if you give money, money to Brandon Tatum. 
You got to be a dumbass to give money to Jesse Lee Peterson, to Steve Bannon, uh, to all of these, these, that's the game they play. The game they play. And, and, and these folks just sit here and say, y'all got to understand how the game works. That's why you got all these conservative radio stations. Because what these folks do is they sit there and they sip every day. They just feeding them that stuff. Obama was weak. Obama's a Muslim. Obama was a terrorist. Uh, all this sort of stuff. And they buying into it. So they come back and they just shell out their $5, $10, $20, $25. raise $25 million for this wall. 25, 25 million, 25 million. Uh, you, you can go down the line. That's what you have here. And see, now y'all understand. Now y'all understand why Trump wanted Barr in. Hell, Barr, th this thing was, let me tell y'all something. If this thing was close, Barr would have told him shut it down. Mm -hmm. Right. Even Barr probably like, damn, I, I, I can't even, I, I, hey, hey, dog, hey, hey, dog. No question. I, 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 I can't even, yeah. I can't even fix this it. one. He was like, mm -hmm. I mean, damn, man, you know, he, Barr was like, look, dog, damn, I mean, I, I done fixed the Roger Stone thing. I, yeah. I, 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 I fixed the Michael Flynn thing. But they got so much mm -hmm. stuff on these fools, I can't even fix. Oh, but guess who also, y'all, was on the advisory committee? Eric Prince. Oh, Bet yeah. Betsy DeVos's brother. I ain't done. I ain't done. <laughs> baseball, former baseball player, that racist Kurt Schilling. Mm -hmm. oh. oh, and oh. guess who else? Fake-ass cowboy David Clark. Oh, Yeah. All of them were on. Yeah, the U.S. Attorney's <laughs> Office ain't done. And the post office police. I guess some does work at the post office. Huh? Okay. <laughs> okay. All I'm saying, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So while all, all y'all sitting here acting a fool, you know, doing what y'all do, I'm, I'm, t I, I just keep trying to explain to y'all. You know, okay, keep 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 it up. Uh, Y'all, they these are thugs, they are grifters, that's all they know, that's all they do, and you just need to understand how they roll. I'm just trying to tell y'all. So that's look, look, and that's why they're trying to hold on because Trump no y'all, hold up, I forgot. I gotta tell y'all last one. The damn court in New York said, mm, Trump, no. You got to turn your tax returns over to oh, yeah. the, to the uh, DA uh, mm -hmm. uh, in Manhattan. Now you're trying to fight that. Y'all. But Roland, but you, they, you know, you know that walls, problem with judges. Right, That's right. Right. But, but the deal, though. Because John Roberts set it up, so they're going to have to appeal it back to him. That's why all he won, he didn't win. They knew they was going to do that. That's right. Hey, all I'm saying is this here. All I'm saying is this here. When you have thug after thug after thug, y'all. I told y'all it's 74 days left in this. I got my I got my uh, notice today, my absentee ballot, filled it out today, mail that sucker back. Y'all, if we do what we are supposed to do, I know there's a new poll saying they tied in Minnesota, but y'all, if we do what we are supposed to do, the day after election, I'm going to be sitting here jamming to this. Crank it up.
and John P. King is John P. King singing, I made it out. Now look, Obama said it last night in his speech. Now hold on, pull the music. I didn't tell you pull the music down. Go back to the panel. The only way that's gonna happen is if y'all get registered. Is if y'all vote. Is if you check your registration. You got to tell every family member, every one of your cousins, everyone, you got your nephew, your niece, your aunt, your uncle, all of them, because these thugs have got to go, because we got to be out of this mess. Sing it, John! If y'all stay at home, that ain't gonna happen. Go ahead and close us out, Grandpa. Nah, brother. My soul looks back and wonder how I got over. Might be the one I feel. If we get past January. <laughs> Reese, close us out. I'll make it out a little bit farther than the U.S., but I will be out here and say, and we if you don't vote, it. none of it matters. Hold on, Reese. Greg, Greg, finish. Greg, finish. <laughs> Reese, go ahead. Oh, I'm saying we naming it and we claiming it Biden Harris victory 2020, but we got to vote Plan A, Plan B, Plan C, and Plan D. Go ahead, Erica. Close out. Come on, Eric. and get your voting out. Together, yes, I said oh. outfit. I'm bringing the whole South. Get your voting outfit together, your PPE, your shoes, your shoe covers, your face shield, your mask, <laughs> your water, your hairnet, your gloves, your extra gloves, your hand sanitizer, your chaps if you have to wear them. Get your voting outfit together now. Look, I'm real clear. I am <laughs> hyper focused. This thug and his birth damn wife. And his ignorant children, all Ooh. them grifters, have got to go. Come on, Rose. And anybody who want to sit here and play games, any of y'all want to say, hey, this ain't no big deal. We really have dealt with more. These folk don't believe in civil rights. They don't believe nope. in uh, police consent decrees. They don't nope. believe in real criminal justice reform. They Come don't on, believe in actually helping black businesses. They don't believe in the Affordable Care Act and helping folks with health care. And even Republican states like Oklahoma and Missouri passed Medicaid expansion. All I'm saying is if y'all sitting here stuck on stupid, keep making up some bullshit in terms of what's going on. I'm trying to tell y'all right now, if they are in charge of the White House, in charge of the Senate, there's nothing that you say you care about that they are going to do. They ain't moved on fixing the Voting Rights Act. They have not moved on fixing, making sure our elections are secure. Mitch McConnell says, uh, look, he, he's the grave digger. Uh, you name it, that's what he is. And so, this is not about Democrat, Republican. This ain't about even Trump, Biden. This is literally a decision that you will be voting on for your children's children. 
Don't play games with this. I'm telling y'all right now, these folks got to go. And they got, I told y'all this means war. They asses got to go. And so if any more of these thugs get arrested, hell yeah, we gonna do the happy dance. And I can't <laughs> wait for Trump to lose so they can go back and indict Roger Stone and throw his punk ass in prison with that particular racist. I'ma see y'all tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lisa Fisher is here. Tom Perez with the DNC. Gerald Horn's here. Y'all know, ain't no other show like this on broadcast, cable, digital. That's why y'all got to support Roller Mark Unfiltered, Cash App, PayPal, Square. You see them right there. Dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal.me forward slash RMark Unfiltered. Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered. So you can actually send your money order. New Vision Media, NU, Vision Media, Inc. 1625 K Street, Suite uh, uh, Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. Those of y'all who give him $50 or more, you get shout-outs, 521, 521 Publications, Angela Lasky, Bernard McPherson Sr., Calvin Ray Stiggers, Carcel Borner, Charles Yates, Chris Nelson, Christopher West, Deborah Ellison, Degra and Mike Flythe. Denise Hofstetter, Edwin Elmer Foster, Fritz Wise, Gregory Horsley, Joy Griffin, Karen Crawford, Maverick Davis, Melvin Simmons, Michael and Tracy Page, Mom Chambers, Paula Doze, Pearlie Crane, Ralph Miller, Ralph West II, Rebecca Gutierrez, Rodney Cutter, Cheryl Dugan, Shalindra Shakur, Sonia Gibson Holmes, Stacey Crowley, Star James, Stephanie Hathaway, Stephen Riggins, Stephen Stokes, Terry McClellan, Virgie Pritchett, Yvette Prayer, and look, I know we, we target African-Americans, but I got white women. I got a dude from Spain who's white. I got a folk from Canada and the UK watching our show. Even one of our white brothers uh, sent me a euro from Amsterdam. <laughs> now, I can't even cash it, but I appreciate it. And so all y'all on YouTube, y'all can give as well. I'm trying to explain to y'all, there's no show like this and if we got to have our own place, to have our own conversations, to speak to our issues, and the beauty of this here, we don't ask nobody else's permission who we book and what we talk about. So if y'all got a problem with me booking Linda Sarsour or booking Kristen Clark or booking, uh, or booking Jason Wright uh, or booking any of these people, well, go get your own damn show if you want to book your own <laughs> guests. I'm going to see y'all tomorrow. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut... Every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. 
Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. I'm late. I'm late. Very important Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com this episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.